All right, welcome back to Meditation from Sinai. This is our fabulous six-part series on Jewish meditation, and we are just getting started. I know we're about halfway through. We're beginning now lesson number four. So certainly we are, we're making progress, but I'll tell you, every class is getting just more and more incredible and more and more exciting, and you'll see exactly what I mean tonight. Trust me, you're in for a treat. Okay, um, so here's what I want to point out. Actually, I want to start with a story, slash joke. I'll let you decide. So they asked the question, why is it? Why did the guru get upset at his students? And of course, the answer is because, why? Because they weren't present. Because they weren't present. It's okay. You don't have to laugh. You don't, have to sm- you don't even have to get it. It's okay. It's not that good of a joke. All right, back to our class. This class is all about Jewish meditation and spirituality. And tonight's class is all about mindfulness. Mindfulness is a profound topic. It's a big topic. And it's going to be um, the topic of discussion for this evening. But first, I want to do a quick recap. What we've, cover, what we've covered thus far, previously on Meditation from Sunday, we talked, about, we talked about the notion of spirituality from a Jewish perspective. We actually have developed over the last few weeks what I've called the divine consciousness, divine, thank you, the divine consciousness meditation. And that is a product of deepening our spiritual awareness. We saw in the last few classes how divine energy is not simply some sort of general life force of the universe, like a battery pack of the universe, but rather it intentionally fills and guides and shapes and orchestrates even the most minute detail of life. And we explained last time, last week, that meditating on this, becoming aware of this, feeling this, knowing this, can be absolutely life-changing. Number one, three points. Number one, seeing God all around us in everything that we look at and everything we experience and perceive, seeing God there can fill us with a great sense of connection and joy. You can't, you can't put a price on that. As opposed to the sense of lonely, low, loneliness and dread that we might feel, this is a sense of connection and joy, number one. Number two, recognizing the godly guidance in all of the happenings of the universe. Right, recognizing that God's hand is driving everything that occurs in the universe can help us better accept our circumstances and become more resilient. That's point number two. Acceptance and resilience. If I'm fighting, if I'm fighting, then I'm just in a negative space. I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm jealous, etc. If I'm accepting, this is this is this, I need to be here. And now I can do something great in this moment. That's the key to true resilience. Number three, embracing that every detail of the universe is necessary for the fulfillment of its entire purpose can instill within us a deep sense of purposefulness and infinite value 
within ourselves. In other words, that everything that happens has a purpose. Everything that happens with me has a purpose. I have a purpose and I have infinite value. Knowing that every detail affects the larger collective is absolutely transformative. So these are three of the big takeaways that we had in, from last week's session. And those are pretty decent outcomes, I would say, already from Jewish meditation. But today we go even further. And we're going to exercise Jewish meditation to push against the very contours of time as we understand it. Time, T-I-M-E, as we understand it. You see, our relationship with time is very fraught. It's a very complicated relationship that we have. It seems that there's never enough time in the day to get things done. It seems they're always battling the ticking clock. Do you remember when TikTok was the sound that a clock made? Remember that? Like before TikTok meant something else. Anyway, yeah, there seems to be never enough time. It seems like we're always pushing against, you know, we're always fighting against the, the, the ticking of the talk or the sands of time, um, as it were. And it feels like there's pressure to accomplish and we feel bad about not accomplishing what we need to accomplish and we feel pressure to get what needs to get done, done. And at the same time, we're not immune to wasting time. Though we know it's the one resource that we can never get back. We still find ourselves wasting time. You know, there's, a, there's even an English expression. You know what it's called? Killing time. You ever hear that expression? Killing time? Killing time. It's so ironic. And an absolutely devastating misuse of the word ironic. It's so ironic that we call it killing time. Because it signals that we understand that time is irreplaceable. That the time that leaves is gone forever. And yet, that's what we're doing. We're killing time. So our relationship with time is very complicated. So in this session, we're going to explore Jewish meditations. A few different steps. Jewish meditations that can radically improve our relationship with time. This will help us respect the gift that is time and be better equipped to maximize our investment in the time that we do have. In the process... Throughout tonight's class, we're also going to gain a uniquely Jewish perspective on the notion of mindfulness and the idea of living in the present. Plus, as an added bonus, one night only, we're going to learn the incredible power of each and every breath. Inhale, exhale that we take. All of this Tonight, our class this evening unfolds in three acts. My friend, this is not a class. This is, as you'll see soon, this is a masterpiece. The class unfolds in three acts. Act number one, the hustle. Act number two, the magical flying rock. And act number three, breathe. Those are three acts. I am so glad that you are here with me prepared to think about reality like you've never thought before, prepared to experience time like never before. Buckle up. Let's begin. We are not going to drive the speed limit. Okay, I mean like in the class. This is not a PSA. We'll leave that for the, uh, the correct context. So let's begin with Act 1, The Hustle. I don't mind being the one to speak for everyone. I don't mind. I don't mind. I'll be the spokesperson for everyone here. 
And I think I speak for all of us, if not all, then most of us, when I say that life tends to be busy. And when I say busy, what I mean is it tends to be very busy. At any given moment, we're juggling dozens of things, dozens of items, responsibilities, and tasks, and ideas, and right, tons of stimuli that we're just juggling within our minds, within our lives. And honestly, life doesn't really slow down that much. There's always the next thing to do, the next thing to explore, the next thing to take care of, all of which tends to pull us in very different directions. We become scattered. We're distracted. We're frazzled. We're anxious. We're, we're restless. We're testy. Right? We, get, we get irritated, highly irritated because we're being pulled in so many different directions. Someone asks for our attention and we snap and we say, don't you know that I'm busy? You ever hear that? Don't you know that I'm busy? I've got a thousand things to do. You ever hear people say this? I've got so many things to take care of. This is doing a number. It's a negative phrase, negative expression. It's doing a number on our mental and, and emotional health. Having so many things to take care of is not necessarily a great thing. Now, my friends, this is not great. And the truth is, maybe not surprisingly, maybe yes, surprisingly, the truth is, this is not a new thing. Yeah, it's been going on for a long time. This idea of having a lot of things to take care of, of being distracted and being pulled and being kind of um, yeah, pulled, scattered in different directions, it's not a brand new thing. It's a thing as old as life itself. In fact, what I would like to do as we begin today's class, I want to start with text number one. Let's find, let me find out where this, what page this is on. In my online book here, give me a moment, please. Text number one, we will find on page 117. All right, I have it up on my, on my side, on my screen. I'm going to share it with you. I know that you guys have your books. I think at this point, everyone really should have their books um, by, for a long time already. I'm sharing my screen. Let's begin. Okay, let's ask uh, Richard. Richard Weinsider. Richard, yes. Please, if you don't mind, please read text number one. This goes back to the Bartonura 500 years ago. This is what he wrote. Don't forget to unmute. Hold on, hold on, Richard. Don't forget to unmute so we can hear you. There you go. One pious fellow would often pray, may God protect me from enduring a scattered soul. People in earshot would ask, what is a scattered soul? He would respond, those who own many assets that are located in several divergent locations are forced to divide their attention to stay on top of all of them at once, causing the soul to scatter its energies. Thank you. This goes back, as I mentioned a moment ago, to the Bartanura. This quote is from the Bartanura in his commentary on the mission of Perkyavos, Ethics of Our Fathers, and he talks about not being a scattered soul. And the question is, well, what's a scattered soul? And the answer is, you have assets in different places. In other words, you got attention that needs to be divided, attention that is scattered, and it leads to being, becoming a scattered soul. All right, I need to point out, he talks about assets located in several divergent locations. It's like the equivalent of like, I don't know, having a little Bitcoin, Ethereum, having a little, uh, um, a little NFT action, right? Like you ha you're diversified. I'm kidding. I'm just speaking crypto right now, blockchain. But it's like having all these, right, all these assets in different places and you have business here and I got this thing going on in, uh, I don't know, Istanbul. Istanbul, 
Yeah, it's a place. Yeah, I got this business dealing over there. I got this other thing over here. And I'm being pulled in different directions. And so the prayer is, it's almost like this prayer mantra. It's like, God, please don't turn me into one of those scattered souls. I don't want to be a scattered soul. I don't want to be all over the place. Yeah, that expression, all over the place, that's what we're talking about. Now, here's the thing. I I know I'm probably not shocking anyone. I I don't think I'm shocking anyone when I say this. But I didn't, well, at least I don't remember being around 500 years ago. I don't remember. I can't say it wasn't, you know, reincarnation and, and, and all that stuff. But I don't remember being around 500 years ago. So I can't tell you what life, I can't tell you right now at least, what life was like 500 years ago. I can't. I would bet, though, I mean, I would venture to say, I don't know if I would put down money. <sighs> Just thinking about the Bengals. Anyway, so here's the thing, uh, covering the spread. So, I, you know, I, I don't know that we're going to put down money on this, but I would venture to say at the very least, yeah, we can, we can opine, that things were a little bit less frenetic than as it is now. In other words, life perhaps unfolded at a bit of a slower pace. I would say, I would say, I wasn't there, but I would say, I would guess. And what's clear from text one is that even then, even then, without social media, can you imagine? Without instant access to information, can you imagine such a world? Unbelievable. (coughs) Before, Before cell phones, before smartphones, before any phones, even before rotary. Remember rotary? That's me doing the old rotary dance. Yeah. That's me rotoring. Yeah, and then you got the zero. It's like, oh, got to go all the way over there. Are you kidding me? Who has time for that zero? Zero? Zero was far, right? I'm not wrong here. Okay, I think I'm right. Anyway, the point is like this. Even then, life was scattered. Even then, life was hectic. Today, next level. Next level. We've opted in. Many of us, not all, many of us have opted into these little devices, relatively little devices that allegedly help our lives, but honestly, they buzz and chime and ring and vibrate constantly, throwing us a three-ring circus of activity. Messages, images, sounds, videos, all vying for our attention right now. It's like, did you see this? Did you see that? Did you see Hold on, I'm trying to catch up. You keep on throwing me more stuff. Slow down. You ever scroll through Twitter? God bless your soul, right? I mean, like that's a that's a that's a very difficult experience, right there. Facebook feeds, Twitter, social media, TikTok videos, Instagram, Gavaldic, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! I mean, like it's it's it gets mishugged. Constant stimulation and pulling our attention. I, do we know what's happening to the attention span? I, I think I even cut myself off mid sentence right now. Do we even know what's happening to our attention span? Yeah, what, how we're changing the brain. If life was hectic. If life was scattered 500 years ago, man, Rabbi Vadya Bartanura, I know they named the wine after him, you know, Bartanura wine, that kosher wine, yeah. But man, hold my beer. I hate to mix beverages, but like, if you thought it was, if you thought it was hectic then, are you kidding? Now? OMG, as the kids like to say. It is next level, next level scattered. That's the way it is. And we've done it to ourselves primarily. I mean, I don't know if we can like hide behind the rock, but we've kind of done it to ourselves. And even without the smartphone, not about the smartphone. Think of how busy the world is. You know, the easier we've made it to do things, think about it. The easier we've made it to do things, well, 
then the quicker we're expected to do them. <laughs> right? Back in the day, it would take all day to move water from one place to the other. And now, yeah, that takes like a second. <laughs> Next, what else are you doing? So like the quicker we're moving, the quicker we need to move. Are you with me on this? Yeah. I feel like there should be a theory or a theorem or some sort of formula based on this. I don't mind taking the credit. The Rabbi Ari, like, theory of, you know, <laughs> the pace of the universe. As things get quicker, things get quicker. I know. I know. It's that brilliant. I'm just saying, it's, it's, where, it's where we're at. You're just Things are moving that fast. So the hustle is real. And so my friends ask a simple question. What do we do? What could be done? What? <laughs> Kanahara, as they say, right? What could be done if we wish to reclaim our sanity? And simple, the answer is simple. I mean, uh, when I say simple, I don't mean easy. Simple means straightforward. The answer is simple, it's slow down. Slow down, totally sound advice, and in fact, some Jewish advice as well. In other words, just let me just break this down. If the problem is life is moving too fast, I'm being pulled in too many different directions, okay, I hear you. Take a deep breath and slow down. Slow down the pace. Beautiful. I want to share with you some Jewish advice along these lines. This is going to be beautiful. This is a beautiful text. This is text number two. I'm going to share this, share my screen. You have it in your books, but I'm going to pull it up here as well. 118. This comes from the Baal Shem Tov. All right. Let's ask Adina Malka. Adina Malka, if you don't mind, I just asked you to unmute. So please unmute and please read text number two. The Baal Shem Tov explained that we must always maintain a settled mind and not be in a rush. He would refer to the verse, you will be swiftly eradicated. The Hebrew phrase, avadetam merera, allows for an alternative reading in the form of a directed, you must eradicate the swiftness. Thank you. Let me explain the Hebrew play on words. It's not a pun, but it's like a reimagination of the literal meaning of the words. The Hebrew original phrase, and you see it here in the Hebrew, the first Hebrew words, or that English italicized transliteration, avadate mehera. means, and you will be swiftly eradicated. That doesn't sound nice, right? The Torah says you will be swiftly eradicated. I don't know. Is there another plan? Is there a plan B here? Like, what? How do we? How do we get it? So the Baal Shem Tov says, okay, that's a simple meaning. If you know this, that, or the other, then you'll be swiftly eradicated. But he says, forget about the promise of a consequence. Think about it as a call to action. Va'avadetem mehera eradicate. Va'avadetem means, and you should eradicate the mehera. Mehera means the swiftness. Eradicate the swiftness. Stop running. Stop running. It's such a beautiful reimagination of the words. It's absolutely magnificent. And I, I, I would encourage you, next time you're reading the Shema, this is, the, this is in the second paragraph of the Shema. There's three paragraphs. This is paragraph number two, the middle paragraph. What, next time you say those word, words and you will be swiftly eradicated, think about it as a call to action that I should eradicate the swiftness. Stop running. Quick, swift, fast, running here, there, being pulled in different directions. Stop running. Get rid of the race. Get rid of the swiftness. Okay, I hope that makes sense. This is the Baal Shem Tov's imaginative, oh, wow, 15 miles. I love that, Adina Malka. Discover life at 15 miles per hour. Excellent. Excellent. Phew. 
Love that. <sighs> yeah. We've become so accustomed to fast when things do slow down, we're like, what's wrong? Like, this is not normal. It's like, this is, uh, this is, something's weird over here. All right, something's very strange. Um, and we are up to, we, we just did text two on page 118, 118. So again, the concept is, the, 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 the challenge we're presenting is life moves so fast, we're, being come, we're very distracted, it's been like this for, a lot of, for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. Today, I would, I, would bet, I would venture to say things are even heightened as far as you know, things moving fast. Stop running, stop rushing, slow down, slow down. So this is good for us. It's not good for us to run so much, it's good for us to slow down. Take life at a bit of a slower pace, and that is the first lesson of tonight. Now, I will say, this insight from the Baal Shem Tov is beautiful, it's exquisite, and it seems so real, it's like so authentic, we got to slow down and enjoy life and pay attention to the details and stop and sniff, the, smell the roses and, you know, insert your favorite cliche, see the forest from the trees, or see the trees from the forest, I don't know, whatever the expression is. Okay, great. But here's the problem, if we're being honest, like really honest, uh, the Baal Shem Tov's teaching is just a tad sparse on details and strategy. Yeah, he says, you should eradicate swiftness, slow down. Okay, how? How do we slow down? Like, what's the technique? Life is hitting me at a thousand miles a uh, second. What do I do? What's actually the plan? How do I actually slow down? So how do we slow down in a hectic world? How do we quiet our minds that are also racing so fast? How do, you, how do we slow down? And focus. So what I want to do is actually open this up and ask y'all the question, how do you slow down? Like, is there a technique that you found works for you to slow down and focus and stop becoming so scattered? What is your technique? Um, Rabbi, I'll weigh in. Yes, please. Um, I, med I meditate every day and I do yoga. You know, nice. A control of the breath. Uh, I do yoga and I meditate every day and I'm not on any social media. <clears throat> I know I'm missing out on tons of stuff, but I, I always tell people I'm not on any social media. I'm not social. Right. I mean, I you know, right. uh, that's how I handle it. Um, and I still feel like my life is frantic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. So I'm hearing meditation and yoga and all that good stuff. Good. Okay. Um, excellent, excellent, and no social media. All right, what else? Uh, looking for some more, more st uh, strategies and tips for slowing down. Slowing down, taking the scenic route. Who's got something? Who's got something to share? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Ruby. Yes. Hi. Hey. So, um, breathing, taking... 10, ten deep breaths in and out, and um, sounds like a lot, but right. um, I learned that from something here from Jewish Community Services. It was very valuable. Nice. Um, I think that's very valuable. Beautiful. Breathe. My husband talks about that also. Stop. Just take some breaths right now. That that makes a difference. And as Adele said, I, it doesn't it doesn't stop the other stuff that's going on. But at the moment, it stops me from feeling frantic. Beautiful. Wow. Wow. Very nice. Very nice. We're getting some good tips here. We're getting some good tips. 
Yes, Allison, jump in. Thank you, Allison. Don't forget to unmute. Oh, hold on, hold on one second. I clicked ask to unmute as you unmuted, and I ended up muting you. My apologies. If you don't mind doing that one more time. Perfect. Okay. Uh, and I was going to say the same thing. It really is so simple. As, it is as simple as we make it so hard, but as simple as just stopping, absolutely stopping in our tracks, whatever it is we're doing, and just take that nice, deep breath. Nice. And let that breath go in, let it go all the way down, and then let it out. And, and you'll notice that it just calms you, and everything just kind of stops swirling around. And, and it's okay. We, we do have the ability, and we are armed with, if I can use the word armed, with the tools. We have what we need within ourselves. Love it. Love it. Thank you. All right, so we have another vote for breathing. This is great. By the way, I mentioned, I mentioned at the top of the class, we're going to get into the Kabbalah breathing by the end of tonight's class. So this is very on point. All, everything that's been mentioned thus far, we're going to be developing from, a, I think, a, a unique perspective tonight. Yes, Susan, jump in. Um, taking a nice walk, enjoying what's going on outside. You know, especially now, everything's budding already. Right. You know, just appreciating creation. Love it. Beautiful. Classical Beautiful. music. Classical music. Great. Good. For me, for me, it's lighting the Shabbos candles. Shabbos candles. Good. Good. Mindy, jump in. Don't forget to unmute. Yeah, there you go. I haven't. I, ha, I I was gonna say listening to music also. I have an app on my phone that that um, plays like meditations, or you can choose different types of music or lullabies. Nice. Or actually my hey, Lily. Here, <laughs> she's the one who introduced me to it because she was requesting to fall asleep with like lullabies or even like guided meditations or stories. Like they have ones for children that are that's like, cool storytelling. And there's an app on my phone that I could give you the name of the app later, but it's it you can choose from any different kinds of like nice. In a frame of mind to quiet my body, get ready for sleep. But it's a good way to slow slow down and and meditate. <laughs> awesome. Okay, great. Thank you all for sharing. I want to jump in on this and throw out a word. And all of this, all of this was, was, was tremendous insight and guidance and practical steps. I want to share one word that I think you, you've all heard of and maybe you've even practiced what this word represents. And the word that is often suggested um, in, in this context is mindfulness. Or the phrase would be, Living in the present, being in the moment, live in the present, let go of all of the things that are buzzing around our mind and just focus on what is happening to us right now, right here in this moment. Push everything else out and just be present. The modern term for this is again, mindfulness. Mindfulness is the practice of purposeful and attentive awareness 
of the present without judgment. I'm not getting triggered by what's going on. I'm just being in the moment and accepting it unconditionally and just being fully present. I'm blocking out all distractions and just being fully aware of what is right in front of me. And again, I'm not thinking about how I feel about it. I'm not thinking about the, you know, I'm not judging myself for anything that's going on or what's going on. I'm just experiencing as it is openly, freely, without judgment. So I will tell you, mindfulness has come into vogue in the last few decades. But like everything awesome, it has classic Jewish origins. And so I want to share with you a bit of mindfulness teaching from the Talmud. The Talmud goes back, what, 15, 1600 years ago? So here's some Talmudic mindfulness. I'm going to share my screen. You have it in your books as well. This is text number three. Let's jump into this. Where are we? Here we go. Text number three. And let's ask, who shall we ask? Um, Dr. Maxi, will you please read text number three? Rabbi Yosef stated, the valuable passages within the book of Ben Sirah may be taught. Grieve not over tomorrow's woes, for you know not what a day may bring. You may not be alive tomorrow, and you are worrying about a world to which you will not belong. That's an interesting take, right, about being uh, present, being in the, living in the present, right? So, and, and there's this whole, like, backdrop of this book of Ben Siro, which is a book of Jewish advice, but it wasn't officially canonized as one of the holy Jewish scriptures, so it's kind of like on this fringe or bubble that never made it in, but even though we don't study the book of Ben Sira, there are still valuable passages from it. So there's like this whole sub, uh, subtext of Ben Sira, but that aside, the teaching is like this. The verse says, grieve not over tomorrow's woes. Don't worry about tomorrow. <coughs> right? Don't fret about tomorrow. Why? Because you don't know what a day may bring. And as the Talmud explains... So the translation is a little bit, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not crazy about the translation. He says, Shema lemachar in the Hebrew. Shema lemachar einenu. Maybe tomorrow it won't be. What's it? There's two ways to understand it. The commentators say two ways to understand it. Either possibly the person might not be around tomorrow, so then what are you worrying about? Or the worry might not be around tomorrow. Are you with me? The, the first one, I don't know. I don't find that reassuring. Like, why worry about tomorrow? Maybe you won't be here. It's like, and that's what's making me feel better? Like, whoa, slow down, cowboy. Like, what? That's now I'm really worried. I mean, up here tomorrow, is that what you're suggesting? Now I got another thing to worry about. I have a concern, and if and then I may not be here. That's a problem also. So, anyway, the other way to understand it is a nenu is referring to the worry itself and not to the person. In other words, that tomorrow it's possible that the worry itself will be gone. I mean, how often is it that we fret about something, we're anxious about something, and then as things unfold, Ah, we had nothing to worry about. So the point is, don't waste your time now worrying about tomorrow because to, let, to, let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. Do you ever have this? Let, let's, you know what? Let's just speak real because we're real people. Let's just speak real and very openly. You ever have a situation in life where, you know, you're, you're thinking about, oh, next week I got this thing and, you know, I'm like worried or nervous about this thing. And then you tell yourself, you know what? I'll, I'll just worry about it next week. 
You with me on this? Not to the, not, not to the extent that you're not going to plan if you need to plan, but like if I need to worry, all right, let me set my clock to worry when I need to worry about it. Are you with me on this? Like I should worry now a week, a week in advance for a whole week, seven days of worry. You know what? Let me do 24 hours of worry. Let me just consolidate my worry into 24 hours. You ever have this feeling? Ever have this sense? Yes? No? Just me? Okay, fine. All right. It is what it is. But the point is like why are we, you know, sometimes we're like backing up worry. Like I got my worries like lined up for the next year. You know what? Honestly, let, let me take one thing at a time and I'll just live in the, be in the present and that's it. And that's what the Talmud is suggesting. Live in the moment, be present, mindfulness, right? Oh, it's so 90s. Mindfulness. And I mean, starting from the 90s. And like, just be in the moment. Like, stop worrying about the stuff in the future. There's another beautiful phrase from a classic Jewish teaching, which I'm going to share and I'm going to read it because I want to do the Hebrew. There's a great song from Mordechai and David. Rayin. Alright, listen, you can't tell the tune from the way I'm singing it, but it's because we don't have the background uh, uh, music. Text number four. This comes from a text that's, what, 400 years old or so? Classic Jewish text. It all rhymes, and it's fantastic. And it even rhymes in the English. Kudos to the English translators. The past is no longer here. The future has yet to appear in a blink. The present will disappear, so what case is there for fear? Why fear? Why worry? Why worry? Why fret? If the past is gone, the future is not yet, and the present, in a moment. It's not exactly on point, this text, because the point is to live in the moment. The point is not how fleeting the moment is. But be that as it may, the idea here is that within Jewish tradition, we see the same idea of being being present in the moment, mindfulness, and not, not, you know, not living too much in other spaces of time. But mindfulness, as it is classically taught in practice, in other words, not necessarily in the Jewish connotation, the way mindfulness is typically understood in practice, mindfulness has some potential drawbacks. Firstly, number one, it might seem a bit escapist in nature. Right? We're kind of running away from our problems by tuning them out. Saying like, okay, I got all this stuff to worry about. Oh, I'm going to be present. I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to block everything out. Let me just be in the moment. It's kind of like, I was thinking of this today. Like, it's like the little kid who doesn't want to hear what you're, saying, what you're telling them and they block their ears and they go, nah, 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 nah. I, can't, I actually can't hear what you're saying right now because I just did that. But like, it's kind of like blocking it out. I don't mean to reduce it to that. But on some level, isn't that what it is? It's kind of saying like, I don't want to worry about the future or the past, so I'm going to block it out and just be in the present and, you know, la, 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 I'm going to block it out. Is that what it is? Is that all that it is? I mean, is that what's it's just a more mature version of kind of blocking out the noise on that level? That's one challenge that we might have, just conceptually understanding how this works and, and the value of it. Secondly, the second point is this whole living in the present, this whole mindfulness thing sounds a little bit more strategic than real. In other words, think of it this way. Is there any other reason other than my desire to reduce stress for me to actually be in the present? I hope I didn't say that too fast. It, it, let me say that one more time. Is there any other reason other than my desire to reduce stress for me to actually be in the present? If not for the fact that I'm trying to reduce stress, is there any other reason to be mindful, to be present? What is it about the present that should grab and hold my attention more than all of the other stuff floating around in my life? This is where the unique Jewish twist on mindfulness comes in. Mindfulness 
being present, living in the moment, right? Mindfulness, as developed in Judaism, is much more than simply a convenient escape mechanism. It's the product of a very rich, very nuanced, very developed spiritual understanding of how our lives and the universe works. Jewish mindfulness means to live in the present moment because, and this is the big idea that we're going to develop throughout the rest of the class, because that's the only true reality that exists. I'll say that again. Jewish mindfulness means to live in the present because that's the only true reality that exists. Everything else is not real. This is the big idea. The rest of the class, we're going to develop this idea. I've, we've planted the seed. We've dropped the bomb, so to speak. And now we're going to develop it and allow it to whatever the expression is, allow it to, uh, to unfold. All right, I saw some, some things in the comments, so let's take a quick moment. I'm going to look at... Um, okay, Moshe is writing the last thing about the present, the past, and the future is actually the opposite of mindfulness. Instead, it dismisses them all so as so momentary as not to exist at all. Correct, I agree with you. Right, I thought that that text about uh, the moment... The present moving so fast is not doing justice to mindfulness, which is about being locked into the moment. I, yeah, correct. Um, I see about the Shema. The Shema is, yes, meditation and prayer combination. Exactly. Okay, any questions thus far? Any questions or comments? Let's keep it to like a minute or two, and then we're going to move on to explain what we just, what I just said. Questions, comments? Okay. I'd just like to say one thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. No worries. No need to apologize. Jump in. Yeah. Okay. Beverly Furman said something that really hit me strongly because she said, once I light the Shabbos candles, mm -hmm. then everything else doesn't matter. You know, it's just a relaxation. She didn't say those words. She said, that's how you can relax because that's it. Right. I thought that, I thought that was very true. We, if we can't stop during the week, at least, thank God, we can stop for Shabbos. This is true. This is true. Shabbos, Shabbat is, a, is an embedded, right, an, an embedded act of mindfulness and being present and not being distracted. Good. Excellent. All right, we had one had more. Question. Yes, Ilana. Um, how do you define the present moment? Excellent. Good. We're going to come away, great question, we're going to come away at the end of this class with a mystical, Jewish mystical definition of the present. So hang on, because we got something really good coming up. Richard. Yeah, so if, if, um, if prayer is meditation, is, is a form of meditation where we're, we're supposed to connect, Yeah. and in, in part, part of prayer is acknowledging that Hashem uh, was, is, and, and shall be, is, is eternal. <clears throat> and it's part of our tradition. We study our history and we look back and we consider the past. We consider the past, we, we, we live in the, in the moment, and we look forward uh, to the future because right. uh, the future will bring Mashiach and, and, and that uh, reality. If the only reality is the present, how do we reconcile all of that? Excellent question. Excellent question. We're going to get to that. Your question is just to repeat your question for everybody. In other words, if I just suggested in my like, you know, mic drop statement 
that the only true reality that exists is the present, well, how does that reconcile with the fact that there's past and future, and it's a Jewish thing also, past and future, these are Jewish concepts. Yom Kippur, we talk about the past. Mashiach talks about the future. So what, kind, what, kind, what is this? There's no past and future. There's only the present moment. How do, how do we reconcile that with, uh, with other teachings in our faith? And we will get to that. We will get to that. But first, we need to pick up our conversation on spirituality. We started the class, just to bring everyone up to speed, we started the class uh, with, the set, with Act 1. Act 1 was entitled The Hustle. In Act 1, we talked about the hustle and bustle of life, how busy things are, how distracted we get, how crazy things get, how pulled in different, how uneasy we are about this whole situation, how we need to stop and slow down. We got to stop running. And we explained that one way to do that is mindfulness, being in the present. We asked questions. Is that just an escape? Is it legit? Is it authentic? Is it just a technique? Is it a tool? Is it real? And we said from a Jewish perspective, it's absolutely real. Because the, mo- the present moment is the only true reality that exists. This takes us to Act 2, the magical flying rock. To understand this, to really understand this, we need to pick up our exploration of spirituality. As I mentioned at the top of the class, and kind of reviewing what we did the last week or two, we've covered a lot of ground on this topic in previous sessions. We've talked about the divine energy that flows and energizes all of creation, all of existence, vivifying and animating everything that exists purposefully and intentionally and consciously. But there's one more, one more important detail to add, a detail that we have not yet touched on. This is a brand new detail. Not only, not only is the life of the universe the pulse that flows through everything, the fabric of existence, not only is that godly and divine, but this force, and here's the new thing, here's the new, new, new info, this force must constantly enliven and animate existence. In other words, it's not that once upon a time God invested a soul in the universe and things have been running ever since. That's not what it is. The divine energy, the divine life force, it's constantly flowing through and within throughout creation. In fact, let's, ta- let's, let's amp up this idea even more. Not only is it constantly flowing, is the divine force, the divine energy constantly flowing. If at any point in time it ceased to flow, if at any point in time that flow would stop, the universe would revert back to absolute abject nothingness. Let me share with you a profound reading from the Shalah HaKadosh, the Holy Shalah, Rabbi Yeshayahu Horowitz, who writes the following. This is going to be text number five on page 121. Here we go. Text five, 121. Jeff, Jeff, if you don't mind, please reading. Um, Unmute, please. And I have it here up on the screen. If you can take it away, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. A common perception is that God created everything out of absolute nothingness, and that in the beginning of creation, God imparted to the host of heaven, for example, the forces of nature, the power and ability to run the world. The world thus operates according to its manner, as if God had let go of his creation. It is only that occasionally... God may desire to override the natural order 
As long as God does not override it, the world runs on the power it obtained at the time of its creation. But the proper belief is that God, in his goodness, renews every day constantly the first act of creation, actively directing his flow of vitality. Should God cease to do so for even an instant, all would be as naught. Its existence would be utterly nullified. Thank you very much. This is a very deep reading. It's a very powerful reading. He says there's two, he's citing, the first paragraph is the common perception, which in this reading is going to be the one that he rejects. The second paragraph is the proper belief. So what's the common perception and what's the proper belief? The common perception is that God created the world once upon a time. In fact, most translations of the Bible, of the Torah, say this. And you know what I'm talking about. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. In the beginning, God created. When did God create? In the beginning. And ever since, it's been running fine. That's a false interpretation. It's a false translation. If you've studied Rashi, you know that Rashi says that's not at all how to read the verse. The verse goes, In the beginning of God's creation of heaven and earth, this is what happened. Not in the beginning God created. In the beginning of God's creation, and that word of makes all the difference. And I don't want to get into semantics right now because that's a little off topic. The point here is, getting back to the Shalah, the common perception is, the common belief is that God created the world at the beginning, in the beginning God created. And ever since, it's been running. It's up and running. God's not involved. It's running. It's doing its thing. The true belief, the proper belief, is that God is investing. God is constantly and continuously infusing life and vitality and animation and soul into the world. It's an ongoing process, and I want to give you an example. Imagine you are in a movie theater. I could lead you on a guided meditation into a movie theater, but I'm not going to do that right now. Imagine you're in a movie theater and you've taken your seat and it's comfortable and your feet are firmly planted on the floor. I feel like Rabbi Label Wolf. And you close your eyes and as you adjust your feet, you realize they're sticky. I'm kidding. All right, so you're in the theater and you smell the smell, right, theater floor, stick, okay, and you smell the smell of popcorn and you're excited and the lights dim and suddenly... The images are dancing on that very large screen. And there are people and there's movement and cars and action and planes. Top Gun, who knows what's going on? And all this action is going on. And it's freilich, as I say. It's wild. Lots of action going on. There's dialogue. There's special effects. There's robots. We'll throw in robots. Why not? It's great. Suddenly, mitamol, in the middle of the whole action, everything goes dark. And a gasp <gasps> rings out throughout the theater. You see the fellow running the projector, you know, like in the booth right back up. No, that's my Ner Tamid. That's the eternal flame of the synagogue. But, you know, like the, the, uh, the, the thing goes from the, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? The little room with the projector. They still have that? I think they still have that. Turns out, said dude up there running that was, I don't know, just going for a stroll, trips over the wires. Yeah, they put them on the floor in that theater, whatever. Work with me. This is my meditation here. Stay with me. He trips over the wire, pulls the plug. What happens? What happened to the movie? Finito. Finito. Done. Finished. 
Yeah, I know you can plug it back in, but what's the point? What happened to the people? What happened to the dialogue? What happened to the planes and the car crashes and the robots? Don't forget the robots. What happened? Gone. You know why? Because it was all a projection. And the way projections work is that you constantly need that flow of light to keep that image on that screen. So here's the point. That's the analogy. Here's the analog. Here's the... Here's the lesson for us in the universe. All of this, all of this, all of this is divine projection. The mystics love talking about godly light or divine light. It's all projection. God's projection. And that exists so long as the projection is being, you guessed it, projected. As long as God is constantly reanimating and recreating and re-energizing, as long as the flow is flowing, we're in business. Pull the plug, game over. Game over. Oh, game over on everything. Not just like little game over, but it's done, finished. This is the big idea. This is the profound idea that we just read in text number five. God, in His goodness, renews creation every day constantly. What it really means is constantly. Every day, just because like every day we notice it. We wake up, oh, we're alive. Okay, so every day is like, you know, we wake up every day. That's us. That's like our consciousness. But what's actually happening, just like a movie theater, every moment there's light flowing. If that light stops, you don't see anything. Are you with me on this? Does this make sense? Yes? Life is like a box of chocolates that you're eating in a movie theater watching a, theater, watching a film. And that projection has to constantly be projected in order for this to happen, in order for this to keep on going. I want to share with you, Ilan, I saw you shaking your head no. So tell me, sorry for noticing, but tell me, uh, if, do you have a question on this? Well, I was just getting a little bit lost. That's okay. All. Okay, so basically, yeah. So basically, it's like this. Imagine we'll make it very simple. Imagine you have a lamp on. Imagine the lights off in your room. You have a lamp, right? And the lamp is shining on a wall, just straight, like straight up basic, right? You have a light in your room. You have a uh, a bedside lamp. It's shining. You're making shadow puppets, whatever you know, the usual stuff. And then it's like it's on the wall. Okay, great. So as long as the light is on, it's shining. You turn off the light, there's no more light. There, you, turn off the, you turn off the switch, you, you hit the switch, you turn off the source, it's done. Or even better, what if you block the light with your hand, all, like all together, you just shield it. Shabob. You know there's a shabob? I love the shabob. Not the Shabbos lamp. The shabob. Oh, you guys got to Google this. Check on Amazon. You can buy it. It's pretty expensive. But the shabob is a bulb that has a built-in shield that on Shabbos... You can keep a on Shabbat, you can keep a lamp on in your room, and with the Shabbat, you just like rotate something, and the, um, the light doesn't go out, but you just can't see it anymore because it's blocked. The point is that light only projects when it's projected. The moment it stopped, it stops. The same thing is true with the world. It's not like God created the world once upon a time. Once upon a time, God created. In the beginning, God created. No, that force has to constantly be flowing into the universe. If there's a disruption of that flow, done. It's finished. If there's a disruption of the flow, it's done. It's like when you're downloading something. If you lose internet connection, sorry, ain't going to work, right? It's just not, not working. You need, there needs to be a constant flow for that to work. Um, Moshe, jump in. 
Hold on, don't forget to unmute. Moshe, we can't hear you. We can't hear you. You got to unmute. There you go. How's that? Much better. Much better. Very briefly, though, for all we know, Hashem does take breaks, goes to the grocery store, goes to check out the new cars, whatever. If God does, we wouldn't know the difference because we wouldn't be there to be aware of it. Excellent. Good question. Good, good point. The way the mystics, and we read this in text 5, says if God were to have done that, then it would revert to nothingness. And you could argue, fine, but then God could recreate it the next moment with the entire history of the memory. You're right. There's no way that we would know. Correct. There's no way that, and that's going to get, that's a little bit more trippy than I was going to go with. But nonetheless, the point is that as long as we're here, right, there has to be a flow. As long as we're aware of, if we're aware, if we're here, then there has to be a flow constantly going. Um, Ed, jump in. So long as we appreciate that the flow is entirely arbitrary, and I'm done. Okay, good. Ed, jump in. Well, you may have just answered the, uh, my question. But if, if God isn't just the, the master watchmaker, you know, that created this and said it, you know, going once upon a time. Right. He's always present and his energy is always being renewed. Is it therefore reasonable to say that whatever happens, happens because God wants it to happen? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, 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 absolutely. If that's what you're saying, then how do terrible things like the Holocaust happened. Excellent question. That's getting maybe a little far field. But that's, that's, that's a topic unto itself, and we've done right. classes and even courses on that. So we, that's, not in, that's not on tonight's repertoire, um, right. but it's an excellent question that does evolve and result from this perspective. So you're absolutely right in your like this leads to that leads to that. Correct. That leads to the question. In a world of randomness, there's actually not a question, right? In a world of randomness, anything could happen. Expect, you know, yes, God, I'm not, not justifying, but just saying that, yeah, there's, you don't really have much of a question on that level. But a, but a world that's guided by what we be, believe to be a good God, et cetera, consciously at every moment, et cetera, that gives rise to that question, which I'm not answering now, but you're, you're correct in the question. Adina Malka, yes. Uh, hold on, you're also muted. Then that would mean that God is working on the Sabbath. Ah, excellent question. <laughs> How does it, so if God is energizing creation, then God is working. Good question. Good. We'll have to leave that again for another time, another class. Kabbalah deals with that at length about, anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, a really great question. All right. It's, it's going to take us too far away from the core point, but excellent question. All right. So here's what I want to share. I want to share one more text on this that brings this out from the Alter Rebbe. Take a look at text number six. Okay. I'm going to share this um, and you can find it. Where's text six? Here we go. From scratch. This comes from the book of Tanya. Uh, herein, here we go. I'm going to read this. Herein lies the answer to those who deny individual divine providence and the miracles recorded in the Torah and the root of their error. They err in comparing the word of God, the creator of heaven and earth, to the work of man and his schemes. When a silversmith has completed crafting a vessel, the vessel is no longer dependent upon the hands of the craftsman. And even when his hands are removed from it and goes on his way, the vessel remains in exactly the same image and form as when it left the hands of the smith. These fools conceive the creation of heaven and earth in the same way, i.e. that God 
created it, and he was done with it. However, their eyes are blinded from seeing the great difference between the work of man and the making of heaven and earth. The work of man consists of fashioning one existent thing out of another already existing thing, merely changing the form and appearance, for example, processing silver into a vessel. Creation of heaven and earth, however, is creating something from nothing. When something is created out of nothing, if the power of the creator is withdrawn from the thing created, God forbid, the created being would revert to not and utter non-existence. The activating force of the creator must continuously be present in the thing created to give it life and ongoing existence. This is the big idea here, and I want to share with you an example. Okay, there's a difference, he says, between something from something, forming something out of something, and creating something out of nothing. I don't want to get too, too deep into this idea, but I want to share the following example. And because the section is called, at the end of the day, the section is called the magical flying rock. So imagine you find a rock on the ground. You look at the rock. It's not moving. It's not jumping. It's not hopping. If it did, you got to check that out. You got you to look into that. It's probably not a rock or, I don't know. You, you got to check, see what's going on. Um, but most rocks, they just sit there. All right, so you pick up the rock, and what does it do in your hand? It sits there. You take the rock, or football. You take the rock, not the rock. You take the, you take the rock. That would be very difficult to throw. You take the rock, and you throw it into the air. You hurl it into the air, and it's now flying through the air. And somebody looks at it and says, oh, my gosh, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's a flying rock. And then you're thinking, oh, my gosh, how can I monetize this? Because most rocks don't fly. It's interesting because most I've seen most, most rocks don't actually fly. So now there's two sets of rocks. There's rocks that are still, rocks that are inert, rocks that don't move, and rocks that are flying rocks. This is great. I can picture the eBay listing right now. Flying rock, starting bid, $100. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Make a killing on flying rocks. What's shot? What's going on here? Obviously, the rock is not flying. So what's happening? How's it, so how is it flying through the air? And I know this is something so obvious, but maybe it's so obvious we've never thought about it. The way it works is that the force of the person who's launching the rock into the air is overwhelming the other force of the rock of gravity and its mass and its weight and all that stuff that's pulling it down. And it's overwhelming that innate force, that lethargic innate force, and it's causing it to fly into the air. But even as, even as it's flying... It's not transformed into a flying rock. It didn't become, didn't sprout wings. It's just flying because of, of how you launched it, the force that you overwhelmed it with. And the greatest proof of that is the moment that force dissipates, watch out. Yeah. As they say in golf, four, that, that, that rock is coming down, my friends. That's on its way down. And it's going to land, and it may bounce, may skip a little bit, may hop. But at some point, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end its movement because rocks don't move. Even when they're moving, rocks don't move. Let's apply. Even while it's existing, the universe doesn't exist. And you're thinking, but it does. It's called a flying rock. What happened before creation? What did it look like? Nothingness. We call this ayin, nothingness. Ayin in Hebrew, aleph, yod, nun, nothingness. Yesh me'ayin, something from nothing, means that God created something out of nothing. And when you create something out of nothing, you don't make it something. You force the somethingness against the very nature of the nothingness. Against 
That backdrop of nothingness, you've now imposed your will of somethingness against it. And as long as that will of somethingness is pressing against it, it will be something. But when that energy, when that force is removed, it reverts back to nothingness, which is why when it comes to creation, God constantly needs to create something from nothing for it to be something. And I hope I didn't lose y'all. The point here is that the natural state of existence is non-existent. So for the world to exist, God has the same idea. We're on the same page here. For the world to exist, when it used to not exist, for it to exist now, God has to constantly be energizing, animating, vivifying, enlivening this reality to exist. It's an ongoing process. Like a projection, like light, like a rock that needs to fly, that's flying through the air. As long as the force is there, it's flying. Take away the force, that rock is dropping. Take away God's force, God's creative existence, God creative force, God's animating power, energy, the world ceases to exist. So here's the big idea. It's not that God created the world once upon a time. The world is constantly being recreated. This is the doctrine, powerful doctrine, of constant creation. His avos timidis, constant creation and recreation. Every moment, the world is, it's, there's a constant flow of divine energy. But I want to take it even to the next level and share with you one additional level of understanding of this. It's not just that God infuses his energy and the energy is freely flowing or smoothly flowing into that created entity. The way it works is that every moment is a recycling, not, not a recycling, every moment is another cycle of divine energy and life force that's animating this thing, making it be. It's like bursts of energy constantly bursting and energize, bursting, a burst of energy, energizing, vivifying, animating, enlivening creation, the universe, to be. The difference is, the rock example that I gave you, it's a bit misleading. Because when it comes to the rock, I'm not constantly throwing it in the air. I launched it once, and it's flying. So is it, does it mean that God, imagine you have a really strong person, imagine, right, who can launch a rock, theoretically, that could keep on going forever. Theoretically. Obviously not practically. Theoretically. Imagine God. Could God launch a rock forever? Sure. Is that what happened? Did God launch creation forever? With one, with one thrust, it's, it's moving? No. The mystics tell us that's not exactly what happened. It wasn't a one-time deal. Yes, the energy has to flow into it constantly, but it wasn't done once, one and done. There's a constant burst of energy, a constant flow of sustenance, flow of vitality that makes everything tick again and again and again. Going back to a verse that I've been repeating as almost a mantra throughout this session, throughout the last several minutes, um, Text number seven from the prayer book, from the morning prayer, every single day, including Shabbat and festivals, we say this. In his goodness, God renews the work of creation each day continuously. Continuously means every single moment is a unique burst, another burst of 
energy, another burst of divine vitality, another burst of creative power that's happening at every single moment you have this burst going on. I want to share with you what this means for us. What does this mean for us? This is pretty mind-bending. It's pretty mind-bending. Oh, by the way, I want to show, give you an analogy. Hold on. I got to give you an analogy. You're watching a video. You're actually watching a video right now because we're on Zoom. I mean, if I'm actually with you in real life, I don't know. I'm not sure how that's working. Right? So you're watching a video. And the way a video works is it looks like I'm moving, right? It looks like I'm moving. But I'm not actually moving. I mean, I am moving, but on your screen, I'm not actually moving. See, the way it works is that the computer screen refreshes the image multiple times per second. And every single time it refreshes, the image changes slightly. And when played in proximity, in close proximity, one after the next, every frame seems to produce fluid motion. Are you with me on this? Do I need to talk about flip books? Remember what, as kids, remember those little books with drawings? A static drawing on every page flipped in proximity, in quick proximity, right? One after the next, quick sequence, produces what seems to be this little stick figure riding a bike. Who rides a bike with their hands? I have no idea. But it, like, riding a bike, right? Riding a bike. It looks like it's moving. It's not actually moving. We're moving the pages, but one image after the next. And pro and that's how video works. Shoot video. I think TV is, what, 30 frames per, 27 frames per second? Who should, like, who's uh, any TV producers here, right? You have 30 frames per second, 23, or 27 frames per second, 24, 25, whatever the number is, maybe 24. Then you have uh, frame rate. This is all frame rate stuff. 60 frames per second. You go even faster if you want to slow it down. Slow-mo has got to shoot really fast to be able to slow it down and still be visible. You with me on this stuff? Yeah. These phones, these smartphones have good, ca ca good cameras, have cameras with all these uh, FPSs, frames per second. Check your local listings for details. Here's my point. Here's my point. Even moving images, even moving images, let's call them movies. Moving images are really images stacked in proximity. Static images move bursts of images, play it in quick procession. The same thing is true with divine reality with divine energy that infuses reality. There's a new burst of energy every single moment, creating moment after moment, frame after frame, played in rapid succession. It seems fluid. Life seems fluid. Real life, forget video, right? Look at your hand as it moves. It seems fluid, right? Unless you're doing the robot, and then it's meant to be a little, little herky-jerky, right? But it's fluid, right? Your movements are fluid. Even when you guys are not smiling, I know you're smiling inside your hearts with my, uh, my terrible references. I, I can see it. I can feel it. I can feel it. I'm seeing it now. All right. Anyway, you move your arms, move your hands, move your legs, move your body, and you'll notice, you'll notice, you'll, you'll see move what looks like fluid movement according to the mystics, according to Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, Hasidic philosophy, according to Judaism. What's happening at every moment is there's a new burst of divine energy. And the new burst of divine energy is inf infusing and vivifying and animating the world in reality in such proximity, in such rapid procession 
that it looks fluid. It looks like uninterrupted, but it's, it's moment after moment after moment after moment. And my friends, the implication of what we've studied thus far is, in my opinion, absolutely astounding. Because if God is constantly powering the universe, number one, number two, if God is constantly refreshing and renewing and reanimating the divine energy that goes into the universe moment by moment, which is the second point that we just mentioned, then what that means is that this moment, the one right now, contains a unique divine energy that this world has never seen before, and I hope that makes sense. The upshot of everything we've talked about, that God is constantly creating or recreating, the fact that that works in frame by frame, moment by moment means that there's a new energy in this moment, and a new energy in this moment, and a new energy in this moment. Every moment is a fresh burst of divine energy that the world has never seen before and will never see again. The next moment we'll have another energy. The next moment we'll have another energy. But forget about those. This one right now. This is directly, consciously, intentionally created by God. This energy for this moment, for this time frame right now is intentionally crafted by the, by the, the, the ultimate architect to be infused into this world, to create this moment and to give it life. And that means, without a shadow of a doubt, this moment has purpose. This moment has purpose. That's what it means to be mindful. Jewishly mindful, to live in the present. It's not a technique. It's not a life hack. Life hack, reduce stress, be mindful. It's not a life hack. It's also a life hack, but it's not a life hack. It's reality. Live in the present, you know what it means? It means to honor the creation that God has done right now. You with me on this? This is a radical mind shift. This is not like, I got so much stress, let me just tune everything out and breathe. I mean, that works also, but this is so much deeper. This is saying, in this moment, God is choosing to infuse a new burst of energy, and I'm going to tune into it in this moment. I'm not going to worry about what God sent a moment ago or what God will send in a moment from now. I'm going to focus in this moment on this opportunity, on this breath of God, breath of God this infusion of divine energy into the universe in this moment, I'm going to honor this moment by being attentive to the energy that is around me in this moment and to the opportunity that lies in front of me in this moment. Take a look at this text, powerful text, text number eight, which I'm pulling up on the screen. I'm going to read this one. This is coming from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. This is the bombshell. Humans, even if they are not in a perfect state of balanced mind, with the exception of truly extreme cases, will not do anything without a reason and motivation. Certainly the absolutely perfect creator and director of the universe, who is also the creator and director of each human, does not create an entity that lacks a definite purpose. Let me summarize that. If we can attribute intentionality to people, let's attribute, let's give God the benefit of the doubt also and say God knows what he's doing. Let's continue. Each individual day and each and every moment of the cosmic dimension of time is an individually created entity. It therefore follows that the theme and purpose of a specific day is distinguishable from that of every other day in the entire realm of time. In other words, today is a unique moment in time. And within each day, every moment is a unique moment in time. In other words, the purpose of any single day in terms of, in terms of that which God expects us to accomplish is unique. 
It is unique not only within the week to which it belongs, or that month, or even that year. Rather, our mission in regard to this day is unique among all the days that are supported by the entire dimension of time. This one, let me say it in my own words, my own words. This day, today, this day has never existed before, will never exist again. This is a unique opportunity in time. The proof is straightforward. The proof is obvious. God created this day as an individual unit of time. He surely has a unique purpose for this unit of time, this unique creation of his that cannot be accomplished with any other unit of time. Were that not the case, God would have no need for it and he would not have created it. In other words, the fact that we have it means that it's relevant, that it's significant, that it's important, that it's, that it's absolutely significant. The task of a Jew who was created for the overt goal of serving God is to utilize each day consonant with God's will through accomplishing the, the purpose unique to that particular day. This is, a, this is not only a text, it's a meditation, it's a guiding message in life. Every day matters, and perhaps even more dramatically, every moment matters. Why? Because God created this. And this is not some run-on sentence. It's not like God launched, launched the world and it's just, you know, it's just unfolding. No, 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 no. God is directly directing his energy in this moment right now to create it. This moment is a unique expression of divine creation. And as such, this moment has a potential and an opportunity that no other moment has or will ever have. Or will, sorry, has had or will ever have. This is unique in the entire annals of history and annals of time. This is, one, this is once in a lifetime. Once in a, once in a history. This moment right now. So what it means to be present, this is, again, I mentioned it before, I'm going to mention it again. What it means to live in the present, to be mindful, means to recognize the power of this moment and to be fully present, to actualize its potential. That's what it means to be fully present. It means focusing on the opportunity right in front of me right now and not distracting myself with time energies that are not relevant. I'm worried about the past. That's not what God sent me right now. God sent me an energy right now. God didn't send me the past right now. God sent me the present right now. I'm not honoring God. If I'm worrying about the past, oh, I should have, I could have, I wanted to, I should. If I'm doing that game, then what about God is sending me new energy. What about that? What about the energy that God, the present moment that God has just created, delivered into my lap? I'm ignoring that. That's not kosher. That's not right. I'm ignoring the gift that God has just handed to me. Or I'm worrying about the future. Oh, what's going to be? How's it going to work out? I'm anxious about the future. What about the present? What about the gift that God has given us? It's not just a trick. And I'm not putting down mindful. I'm just saying it's not a trick. It's not saying, you know what? Here's a hack, a life hack to, be, to get more calm is to ignore, block your ears. Ah, I don't see the past, right? I don't see the past. I don't see the future. I'm just going to breathe and be in the moment and hopefully weather the storm. That's not what we're, it's not a game. It's reality. That's how I started this class. It's the absolute truth of reality. The absolute truth of reality is this moment is a newly created entity delivered to me with a purpose and being attentive, being mindful. Living in the moment is me honoring the gift that God has just given to me. This quality of living in the moment has a Hebrew name. There's a name for this. When somebody lives in the moment, but not just as a distraction, as a way to, to, to block a distraction, but really 
ne- like focusing on the opportunity right here in this, pla- in, in this moment, there's a word for that. It's called being a panimi, not a panini, that's a sandwich. Being a panimi, P-E-N-I-M-I, panimi. Panimi means someone who has inner integrity and focus and has such a hard word to translate because it's kind of hard to be at this state, right? The words that we have are stuff that we, we usually experience. This is very hard to experience. To be locked in to the experience in front of you and not be distracted, that's a panimi. A panimi is someone. I told this story before. The Rebbe told this story at a Fabrangan. It's a great story. It's in Brooklyn, New York. I forgot the year. A bunch of guests from Israel for the holidays were having their final get-together in the synagogue. The Rebbe was addressing them. And as the talk went on and on, people started getting a little fidgety. They were looking at their clocks because they had an LL flight at JFK heading back to Israel that they had to catch. The Rebbe noticed the crowd kind of like uh, getting a little anxious. And the Rebbe said, let me tell you a story. Moscow. No, not Ma- uh, maybe Moscow or maybe not. Back in the day, Russia. Somewhere in Russia. The Rebbe says, I, was, I walked into the office of my father-in-law, the previous Rebbe. And I saw him calmly sitting at his desk, reading some papers, writing some notes. And I said, I got to ask you a question. How, do you do, how, how are you doing this? In 10, 15, 20 minutes, he had a train. Maybe the train was to Moscow or um, St. Petersburg. The train was, maybe Leningrad, whatever they were calling it then. The train was to, you know, to meet with high-ranking officials about you know, uh, issues related to the Jewish community. And he had a, the train was to leave very, very shortly. And there he was, the Rebbe said about his father-in-law, sitting calmly at his desk. So I asked him, how could it be that you're sitting calmly at your desk? And he said, and he said, what it means to be successful in time, time management, time, successful in time, is you can't add more time to the day. What you can do is honor each moment. If my train leaves in 10 minutes, you know what that means? I have 10 minutes. It means I have 10 minutes. I still have 10 more minutes. That's what it means. If my train leaves in 10 minutes from now, I have one minute and two minutes and three minutes and four minutes, and God has given me this time. What, to waste? To waste? That's not honoring the time. To utilize the time. This minute is a minute. This second is a second. This fragment of time is meaningful. That's what it means to be a panimi, to be fully invested. Take a look at this text. Share with you one more text over here on this topic. Text number nine. There's a famous saying of the fifth Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Shalom Dovber, that a panimi, that's how you spell it, panimi, a person of profound internal integrity, is fully invested in each and every undertaking. At one of his public gatherings, Rabbi Shalom Dovber sensed that his younger students were leading the customary singing of a Hasidic melody at a furious pace because they were eager to hear the profound spiritual teachings that were to be delivered following the singing. In response, he devoted an entire address to explaining that a Jew must accomplish each individual undertaking of divine service wholesomely. We may be engaged in activity that serves merely as a preparatory bridge to a main task. Nevertheless, as long as we are engaged with this particular activity, we must be fully invested in the activity. This is a fundamental principle for all situations, he declared, that wherever you find yourself, you must be fully present. Why? As a technique? As a life hack? As a way to reduce stress and anxiety? No! More than that, because God has given us this opportunity, this time, this moment. God created it just for us. So we honor it. 
So we honor it fully. We honor it fully by being fully present and utilizing it. Now, we have to acknowledge the past and the future. Sure, yes, the Judaism, Yom Kippur, we focus on the past. And sure, we focus also on the future. It says, Ezo Chachamar, it's another, who is wise, the one who sees what's going to happen. There is past and future. But if we want to get trippy, when God creates the present, He creates the present with the past and the future. Are you with me? What I just said. You know that flip book? You know that flip book? What does God create in every moment? One page? Right? The bike like this? Again, no bikes don't go like this. But what, The bike like this? In every moment? And then the bike like that? And then like that? God creates the whole book. Every moment. God creates the present with the past and a future. I hope that makes sense. Yes? God doesn't just create one frame in the present. God creates the frame with the history and the future. But the past and the future only exist vis-a-vis the present in every moment. So in the present moment, the only place that the past has is how can I do something now that helps reframe or relabel or reimagine the past. Not, oh, I should have, could have. That's futility. That's throwing the hands up in the air. That's not me doing anything to transform the past. The only way that the past has validity in the, in the present is how the present can transform the past. And the same thing with the future. Oh, what's going to be? What's it going to look like? How's it going to work out? That has no place in the present. The only place that the future has in the present is vis-a-vis what can I do now to impact the future. It's a radically different idea. It's empowering. So in short, in summation, we still have one more act, which we're going to do very quickly. But in summation thus far, we explain that God, the spiritual part, right? God is constantly creating and recreating, and that creation happens moment by moment. Thus, being present, being mindful, honors the gift that God has given us in the form of this presence. Sorry, the present. God has given us a present called the present. It's a gift. It's a moment, it's an experience, and we're meant to utilize it fully. And yes, it has a past and it has a future, but only the past and future vis-a-vis the present. Which takes us now to act number three. We've established, which is called breathe, act three, breathe. We've established that life is, re- that, that, uh, life is renewed at every moment, that nothing is static, all is flowing in discrete bursts of time. And everything that seems to be just flowing and moving are all a manifestation of the divine energy powering the universe. Great. But here's where it gets really intense. Like, just really cool. Every moment, every fragment of time, every um, measure of time, a year, a month, a day, an hour, all these segments of time are divided as segments because of a unique divine energy that is flowing into that segment of time. In other words, what differentiates one hour from the next? Because the clock said so? The clock. What does the clock know? Why is it one hour than the next hour? It's because on a spiritual level, like we've been saying, God is not just recreating creation every moment, but Every hour, there's a shift in the divine energy that flows into the world, and that creates a distinction of an hour. And likewise, every day, there's a shift in divine energy. Certainly every year, Rosh Hashanah, there's a shift in divine energy. That creates the status of time. 
when the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, was in jail in Tsarist Russia. They threw him in jail. There were fake charges. He was exonerated 53 days later, but he was thrown into prison. And they didn't have, there was no concept of night and day. There was no light in that prison. And the guards came to him once, and they saw him praying in his cell. And they said, why are you praying? It's the middle of the night. And he said, no, it's not. And he quoted exactly the time of day that it was. No clocks, no watches, no gimmicks, no hacks, no cell phones. He said, how do you know? Each hour, he said, each minute, there's a different shift in the energy in creation. And if you can pay attention to the shift in, in energy, you can tell time. Are you with me? So most people tell time because the clock made them. The clock told them so. Right? How do I know that right now it's whatever it is? I'm not going to mention the time. I don't want anyone to get anxious here about the future. Yeah. How, how do I know it's the time? Yeah, I just, I just did that. How do I know it's the time? Because I looked at the clock. How did the Alter Rebbe know the time? Because he felt the energy. It's a different experience. Every shift in time is a shift in divine energy. You have in your books something phenomenal. Page 132, daily divine energy shifts. 133, monthly and hourly divine energy shifts. The shifts of time, the shifts of time, whether it's daily, whether it's monthly, whether it's hourly, based on permutations of the divine name, it's a magnificent topic. But here's what I want to get to. What's the smallest usable segment of time that you and I know? Typically, we would say a second. I know Olympics go by like fractions of seconds, but you and I, we use seconds. Typically, we use seconds. Did you know that in classic Jewish tradition, we don't use seconds? What we use are something called chalakim. Chalakim. Parts of an hour. Here's how it works. Every minute, this is Jewish time. Yeah? I'm still waiting for a Jewish watch or clock to operate like this. Every minute is divided not into 60 seconds, but into 18 parts. Are you with me? Stay with me. Every minute is divided into 18 parts. Not 60 seconds, 18 parts. It's about 3.3 seconds. Uh, 18, yeah. so a minute, 18 parts. How many parts, chalakim, how many segments, how many of these segments in an hour? Do the math. 18 per minute times 60 minutes. What's 18 times 60? I'll do the math for you. 1,080. There are 1,080 chalakim segments, Jewish segments, per hour. Remember that number, 1,080. Something is about to get really cool, and you, wanna, you, and you wanna hear this, trust me. 1,080 segments per hour, chalakim, not seconds, 3,600 seconds per hour. 60 times 60 is 3,600. In an hour, you can count to 3,600, one, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three, etc. right? Chalakim, Jewish time, 1,080. Listen to this. The mystics tell us, and it's corroborated by science, more or less, that a, the average person at rest breathes 1,080 times per hour. I'll say that again. The average person at rest, not running, not exercising, not doing heavy lifting, at rest breathes on average 1,080 times per hour. 
every three seconds approximately. An average inhale and exhale, one segment, takes a few seconds. About 1,080 per hour. Get this. This is the smallest segment of Jewish time. We talked before, we talked for about 45 minutes about this topic, how God is recreating the universe at every moment, and every moment is a new burst of divine energy. How often? Every few seconds, every chalak, every chalak. 1,080, where's that number come from? Why, why 1,080 parts per hour? Because there are 1,080 permutations of God's name, the four-letter uh, name of God. How do you get that math from four letters to 1,080? That math is way beyond the ability to do right now. But there are 1,080 permutations of, of the divine name, which means that every, every fragment of time within the hour is powered by a new form of God's name. And this is the significance of the breath that we take. And some of you mentioned before about breathing, breathing exercises. Kabbalistically, Jewishly, you know what it means? Something mind-blowing. Every breath we take, every few seconds, you know what's happening? We're breathing in the brand new energy of creation that God just used to create the world. And then we breathe out that energy and we breathe in the new energy that God infused in creation. Are you with me on this? Our breathing pattern mirrors God's pulse. The pulse of the universe is mirrored by our breathing. Let me read a few readings that, again, are, I believe are absolutely mind-blowing and can be life-changing as well. Take a look at text number... I'm skipping a few texts over here. Take a look at text number 13. Pass the charts. Text number 13. Um, no, text number 14. The reason why we must breathe constantly at the approximate rate of 1,080 breaths an hour is that the divine energy pulsates throughout all the spiritual worlds and energizes everything. As the verse states, using the present ongoing tense, you give life to all things. As this energy arrives in our physical universe, it manifests within humans and within every breathing creature in the air that we breathe, which provides life as we draw it into ourselves, because a fresh burst of divine energy is released at, every moment, at each moment. We need to continuously breathe to absorb the fresh spirit of life that is now radiating forth from God. We cannot remain animated in the present moment with the energy of a previous moment, since the world has moved on to a new energy and a fresh dynamic that has redefined all of existence. This is the way the world operated since its creation, and this is how it will continue until the end of time. Listen and meditate. This is an un believable teaching. The question, you can ask it as a question, why is it that we have to breathe? Why not take one breath, wind up the watch once, we're good to go. 120 years, one breath, good. Why every second, why, not every second, why every, every few seconds, why are we breathing again? Kabbalistically, there's an answer. Spiritually, there's an answer. Jewishly, there's an answer. You know what the answer is? Because life is not just one and done. Every moment, every moment, there's a new burst of energy. And every moment, we acknowledge it and breathe it in. And then we let it go, and we take in the next one. We let it go, and we take it the next one. And you know what it means? You know what the message is? Pay attention. God programs, programs the body. Our biology exists in a way that allows us, if we choose, to recognize the new energy of the world, 
with each and every breath that we take. Are you with me on this? God created us in a way that we can feel and breathe in and breathe out the new burst of energy in the world. So in the final analysis, we covered so much. And at least for me, this is personally, speaking personally, this class is one for the ages. We started our conversation up talking about fragmentation and distraction, how pulled we are in different directions, how complicated life is. We then spoke about mindfulness as a way of pushing away the distractions. We contrasted Jewish mindfulness with the typical understanding of mindfulness. Jewish mindfulness is not about ignoring distraction. It's about tuning in to the power of now. God renews the universe every single moment. There's a new burst of divine energy flowing into creation at each and every moment. So living in the present means focusing on the new opportunity that God has placed before me right now. This moment also contains a relationship to the past and to the future, but only in a constructive, proactive way, in a way that can be affected by the actions in the present. Living in the moment is the greatest way to honor God's investment in the universe. And it constitutes being a panimi, someone who's really attentive to what is happening right now. And finally, the final big idea of today was that our breathing pattern mirrors the flow bursts of divine energy. 1,080 per hour. Every breath, every breath invites divine purpose into our lives and allows us to be attentive and fully present. I want to thank you very much for joining me tonight. And I want to encourage you to review some of these concepts that we, that we explored. There's a lot of big ideas here, all centering, all focusing around the, the notion of time. What is time? And time we're learning tonight, time is not just a random construct, but time is a divine gift of life divided into segments that we can note and enjoy and utilize. Every breath is a new gift of life. We're go I'm going to show soon, momentarily, in the next uh, minute or two, a beautiful meditation video from Rabbi Label Wolf from Australia. He's, our, he's the one who produced these, uh, these videos for every class. The video, the meditation is all about this theme, all about the, the, the divine breath, the human breath and the divine breath. So you'll have about four minutes to close your eyes and just focus on this as a meditation, classic guided meditation. That will be in a moment. But first, I want to tell you what we're going to do next week and also share a few upcoming announcements. Number one, next week. Lesson five is called Mind Your Business. You see, meditation is, sounds easy or feels intuitive when we're in a secluded place in a spiritual environment. But most of our day is spent amidst the material grind and the hustle and bustle of real life. So can we find meditation? Can we find meaning in life's every activity? Join me next week as we explore Jewish meditation on working, eating, drinking, sleeping, and other physical activities. You don't want to miss this. That's all coming up next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. A few quick announcements. Number one, Thursday night. So we're talking about in two nights. 8 p.m., same time that we start this, this class, we're going to have a live event, live online Zoom event, live from Israel. Josh Evan Chen, who is one of the leading, he's just a phenomenal tour guide and, and, and uh, ambassador 
uh, of Israel in Israel. He's an American, American-born guy, so uh, he, he's got the American perspective as well. He's going to be sharing a presentation called Hidden Secrets of Israel, where he takes us behind the scenes, some places that, we can't, that you and I cannot visit in person due to various reasons, and he will be taking us behind the scenes. He's an, he's a, he's an author of a new, uh, new novel called uh, The 36, about 36 hidden tzaddikim, and he is going to give us a phenomenal tour. The event is free and open to everyone. There are, there are sponsorship opportunities as well. Check out the website, intowntewishacademy.org, for that event called Hidden Secrets of Israel. Number two, announcement number two. Coming up this Sunday, we have Judaism the Soundtrack, a live musical event with dinner starting at 6 p.m. Hasidic music. If you're interested in soulful Hasidic music, this is for you. If you like Shtisel and want to know what's on their uh, uh, Spotify playlist, this event is for you. Hasidic music, um, in-person, an immersive experience. Sunday, this coming Sunday, February 20th, also happens to be my English birthday. February 20th, 6 p.m., dinner, 6.30, a show. Join us. You will absolutely love it. Last announcement, and then we're going to do the meditation. After the Fire with Marika Feuerstein. She's the granddaughter of, of, of Aaron Feuerstein, who is known as the Mensch of Malden Mills. I think I mentioned this last week. He was the guy whose factory burnt down in Boston. Uh, tragic fire. He supported all of his employees for a long while out of his own pocket. Eventually, him and the family and the business came upon hard times. And um, the, the event is all about... The event is all about the aftermath of the fire, how to rise from the ashes, personally, professionally, morally, ethically, spiritually, all of us encounter setbacks and adversity. This is an inspiring story. He just passed away, just passed away, about, passed away about three months ago. His granddaughter will be speaking about his life and legacy and about the idea of, of, uh, of growth after tragedy. All right, join us for that. You can find it on the website, again, intownjewishacademy.org. All right, without further ado. I am very happy and excited to present you with, or to present to you, the meditation for lesson number four. So get comfortable and uh, get ready to join in inhaling the divine. That is the name of this meditation, inhaling the divine. Don't worry, it's legal despite the way it sounds, inhaling the divine. Did you know that we breathe in about a thousand and eighty breaths an hour? Which is interesting because in our Jewish teachings, each hour consists of 1,080 units. And each unit is a different phase, configuration of Hashem's energy, breathing life into the universe. So be aware that every one of your breaths is presented into a new world with new opportunities. Gently close your eyes and just become aware of your breath 
breathing in deeply, slowly, and breathing out deeply, slowly. Try to direct your in-breath down to your abdomen and then push it out by pulling your abdomen in. Deep, slow breathing. Every moment of the existence of the world, of your existence consciously, is dependent on Hashem breathing. Hashem too breathes in and out. The duality of Hashem's breath in and out creates the duality in your life, in nature. Breathing in and out is the way that Hashem gives existence, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Breathing in and out creates the tide coming in and the tide flowing out. Brings morning and then evening. The petals close, the petals open. Everything flows in and out, just as breath is breathed in and out. Every breath that you take, a new phase of reality, a new configuration of opportunity. Imagine if you could be conscious and aware of each moment in depth, realizing Hashem is breathing in and out so that you can have a world with constantly new opportunities. Be aware. Look out for the openings that each breath brings into your life. Live deeply. Live meaningfully. Live purposefully. Breathe deeply. All right. I don't want to disturb the magic in any way, but I hope you enjoyed that meditation. And I want to thank you sincerely for joining us tonight 
for this lesson, which I believe is one of the most important lessons that we can learn about the power of every single moment. And being present is honoring, acknowledging, honoring, and hopefully utilizing the gift that is right now. Thank you for joining, and uh, I wish everybody a, an Erev Tov, a good, a good evening, a good night, and we'll study soon. Take care, everyone. Laila Tov. Thank you. Pleasure, Thank you pleasure, so much. pleasure. Recording stopped.